Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 292. Hey, Albert, how do trains hear? Through their caboose. No, through their engine ears. Ah, okay. <laughs> Hi, Julius. Hello, Albert. How are you doing today? Doing all right. How are you? So I hear we're going to be reviewing a train game today. Yeah, it's really exciting. And it's a train game I'd never, ever heard about before, honestly. Yes. I'm not sure it really counts as a train game, though. Because when you say train games, most people not probably think of like 18xx type games. And this is not an 18xx type game. <laughs> no, it does not look like it. But, mm. you know, when people say war games, you know, it's, if it's about a war, it counts. Hey, which reminded me, last episode was about a war game. You've been playing war games. How so? My key? The, not my key. What's it called? Uh, um, um, I already forgot the name That's of the game. That's not Shame a on me. war game. It's a hand management it's game. A, it's a hand management game where you're fighting in a war. The the Spanish... Uh... I'm done with you. So, this <laughs> is... We're talking today about Vagrant Song. Okay. The train game. It's a train game. Exactly. Vagrant Song is a boss battler uh, game where you are one of various vagrants, these hobos stuck on a haunted train. And ghosts are going to pop up, and it's your job to exercise them or restore their humanity or whatever it is that you're doing to each individual ghost. The game comes with a whole bunch of scenarios. Um, All of them play generally the same way and run through it, have fun playing through the game. Mm, Okay. I mean, it sounds neat. The the theme is pretty unique. (laughs) I definitely think the theme of the art is unique. So let's, let's go ahead and talk about the theme. Um, and the theme as it comes through from the art, this is a very old timey type of art style that they're using for it. Um, I think it's called like hose pipe cartoons, I think is what they call it, but it's very old timey haunted and all of the art brings together this idea of a feeling old and kind of a little wacky cartoonish. Um, like, you know, Rise of Disney type level cartoons. Yeah, er- early Disney, early Mickey Mouse is what I think of. Yeah. Like a Steamboat Willie almost, yeah. And the story ties into the same type of thing just with these guys, you know, talking old-timey as they're having their adventure going through all of the scenarios. So I think that it all it all blends together to reach that same idea. Okay, well, it looks neat. It looks fun. Uh, I'll admit, when I first saw the characters, I was, I was, uh, I didn't like it. I said that doesn't look right. But not now, getting the fact that it's it's a deliberate theme because it's a, it's an old setting, I guess, isn't it? It is an old setting. I mean, the the setting has nothing to do with the amount of time. It's a ghost story, and each of them really like, unless there's some twist at the end, the story of it is it's pretty standard. It's it's there's ghosts are popping up and. Each of them have various different bad type of mm-hmm. things that have happened to them, and it's your job to heal them in whichever way it is that you do. Right, and and it's uh, your hobos, so so this is early early nineteenth century setting. Yeah, right. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so so you talked a little about the art. Can we talk about the components? Because there's so much there. There is a lot to talk about with the components. So first, yes, we've talked about the art. And that art is brought through on all of the stuff. It's brought through on the ghosts. It's brought through on the terrains. There's 20 different ghost standees. The ghosts are called the haints. And all of the standees are printed on the acrylic. So they're flat. They're not full miniatures. 
Um, but they have they're full color printed. They're see through on the clear spots. They are very nice looking. I really like the mm-hmm. style for this type of of standee. They're very durable. They're very clear. The art is printed very well. They look really nice. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say that this has distinct advantages over an unpainted mini because the color makes everything snap together and look really well done. And you don't get that from an unpainted mini unless you take the time to paint them. Now then I can understand that artistry of itself, but not every game I have with minis is painted. And I think that I would prefer having this over an unpainted mini. And and that is how nice I think this acrylic standee really works. It's very well done. I agree with you because I I will, I will, not get games that have minis simply because I'm not going to paint them. And it seems like a shame, right? So, mm-hmm. so I'll just pass on those games. And, you know, with these figures, they look nice and, and they're ghosts. So the fact that they're on clear acrylic just makes way more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it looks nice, yeah, it's something I would play. It's something I'd be interested in getting. Absolutely. So that's just in terms of the standees. Let me talk about the stuff that a character has. And the characters are called vagrants. Those are the hobos that you're playing as. Um, each hobo comes with their own vagrant. I'll start talking about them vagrants. So each vagrant has, of course, their standee, which is going to know where you are on the board, and a card, which is going to have a couple sections on it. It's going to have a spot for your health. There's these small plastic hearts that you use to tick out where it is that you are. So there's a track that goes from 10 down to 1. And when you're at full health, you put on the 10. As you mark it down, you slide it down onto the 1. It is just a single-layered board, so it's definitely easy to knock that or mess that up some way, somehow. But, yeah, yep, it's fine. Um, there are laid out on your card different slots for the five different basic actions you can do. You can move, you can bindle, and I'll get back to what the bindle is later. You can punch a dude, you can investigate, uh, or you can try and heal yourself. So those are the five basic actions, and generally you'll select them by using these coins. Each character, each vagrant, also has three coins, uh, each of which are actually printed with their own icons. So they could have just sent like even less coins because I believe the game plays up to four. They could have sent you just enough coins to that, but instead they have one for each of the different icons. You take those coins and you put it on top of whichever action it is that you're programming to take for the round. Uh, so if you're taking a basic action, you put it on top of a basic action. If you're using one of your... Uh, cards, one of your skills, you put on top of a skill. And so that denotes which action you take. Once you program them all, you'll then be able to remove them all from be able to take those actions. So the slots on your card show what that is, and then everyone has their own special ability. There are also slots, which are just spaces to put things. They're not notches or anything like that. It's not a cut on the card, but it's a spot around the card to put the different skills and junk that you have. Skills are going to be alternative actions that you can take for one of your three actions each round, and junk are going to be special bonus abilities uh, that will enhance. They really called junk. You. Yeah, it's called junk. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, I mean they're hobo. They go into this. Yeah, that's true. Okay, <laughs> and I mean it's often like broken up junk, like it's random stuff that you're going to find around during your adventures. Oh, funny. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's junk. <laughs> So, and there's slots around the board. So everyone can have up to four skills and most everyone can have up to one junk. 
and there are each player starts with some of their own special skills and then over the course of the scenario you'll be able to have some access to some additional skills that might pop up um from various different actions in terms of the haints, so each haint also has a standee. Some of the standees are bigger than others, but they come with, they're all ghostly bluish, and they have ghostly bluish bases as well. Uh, each haint also has some special ritual cards, which are going to be these like mini goals to be able to do over the course of a scenario, or sometimes anti-goals, really. Um, but they're like these things that you could do over the course of the scenario, and often they will advance the end game state in some specific way. Uh, some of the guys will have special rule cards or special exception things or just special stuff um, because each one is a special scenario. So they may do different types of things, but in general, that's what they have. They have the rituals and their standee. There is a large track that goes along one side of the board that is going to track their health. So for instance, if they have 10 health um, every time you do something to their health and i'll get back to that in a second but every time you do something to their health you'll keep lowering it down till it hits zero when it hits zero it'll remove one of theirs and i'm it's it's called break but when you bring them down to zero you move their breaks their break down to one essentially the haints have lives and you're trying to finish them off multiple times so if you remove all of their lives which the game calls breaks so then you have actually won the scenario um, so there's a track for its health called its humanity and then a track for the amount of lives it has, which is called its break. Keep lowering both of those generally the way you win is by keeping lowering both of those until you have defeated them. Um, again, there are these plastic heart tokens. There's a bunch of small ones that are used for tracking the player's heart and a bigger plastic token that is used for tracking the haints one. For the life of me, I'm going to comment here. I don't know why they had to make these ones plastic. The plastic one is actually harder to use. They threw in a bunch of them for no reason. You get like a bag of them as if like they got them on real discount. You need seven. <laughs> they give you like 50. They're oh, never, wow. <laughs> they're, they're literally just craft store hearts. Why they didn't make them out of tokens or make them out of wood or it would have been incredible. Make them out of some acrylic. Heavens knows. Mm -hmm. But they chose none of those. They <laughs> they chose these cheap looking plastic craft store things. They're they're they they're doable. <laughs> doable is about the best <laughs> I can get for those. Is doable. Um. Mm, okay. Now then, while I've mentioned the board, let's talk about the other elements of the board. So you're on a haunted train. You'll note that the train has no doors. Uh, there are three trains that are connected together, and there's a slot to get from one train to the next. Um, on the left side of the board is going to be the rounds. Rounds is perhaps one of the most confusing aspects of the game. It was the first thing that messed me up, because the first time I played, I was like, oh, uh, I'm on round one. If I hit round six, which is the highest round number here, you lose. But in reality, no, that's absolutely not true. Uh, if you hit round six, it goes back to round one. What difference does the round track make? Often, nothing at all. Oh. There are some events that when you're setting it up, you'll stick a token on one of the round slots to show that an event happens then. So the events will sometimes recycle. So every six rounds, you'll do that event. And every six rounds, you'll do the next event. And so sometimes it recycles. Many scenarios, they didn't recycle. When you finish that event, you removed it from the round tracks. So you're just advancing round for 
no reason at all. But it was definitely confusing the way they did that to make it. Uh, Yeah. Maybe maybe I'll just mention there were a lot of confusing things in this rule book. It kind of sounds like it when you said in the first issue I came across. <laughs> yeah, there were there were a lot. It was not an easy game to learn the rules, unfortunately. Interesting. Okay, and there aren't that many rules to it either. It's it's looks like it's relatively light. It's a. I mean, looking at the rule book here. Yeah, uh, let's well, see. thirty pages actually. Well, that's, that's thirty pages with the scenarios. So the one that's available online ah. has all the scenarios and stuff. So everything that comes up in it. Um, oh no, it's not all the scenarios and stuff. Yeah, it's just the thirty-four page rule book. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. It is a lot. So no, you're saying it's a little bit. It's actually a pretty big rule book, and it is confusing. But I will get back to that when we do the rules. Let me let me not get distracted from talking about the components so again you have a it's a checkerboard train section to denote where you are there are slight color differences between the different parts of the train which actually makes a difference so hopefully you can be able to tell the difference um on the the two there's two squares that are between the train technically one square belongs to the left and one square belongs to the right if you have difficulty being able to tell the difference between those colors, like if you're colorblind, as happened to some of the players I played with, it's really hard to be able to tell the difference. I would have preferred if that line were, which is a modification I made to the board, I made it black and white through to be able to tell where the line is and remind you this side belongs to this car and this side belongs to this car. But it's it's not there. You're just left to figure that one out. I, I found the color choice of the board interesting. Looking at the picture when I first saw it, I thought it was a bad picture where the color had kind of come off wrong, sort of like an old photograph. Yeah, that's um. that's a kind of that's the, again that's the type of thing that you're going to see a lot. Is it's an old timey looking thing. Yeah, it's, it's it looked neat, but at first my reaction was, "Wow, that that's messed up." But no, <laughs> no, I mean, and it does look that's, neat. That's cool. The components in the game, with the exception of the heart, are really good, and the art style is really good. So that art style continuing through is really good on the board. I did not mind it at all. Okay. Um, one more thing present on the board is going to be a slot to store your bindle tokens. I haven't told you about bindle tokens, but let me do that right now. Um, the bindle, which is this old bag that the hobos used to carry, uh, the checker bag. So inside the bindle mm. are rummage tokens. So there's five different types of things. There's iron nails, candles, salt, rabbit's foot, and apples. So in, in the bindle bag, it all shuffles around. And you can pull those out on your turn by taking a bindle action. And the bindle action, it, it actually lists how many you can have held at once. Um, but you can bindle and you can take a token out of there and then you can spend an action or you can spend those bindle tokens later to do whatever it is that the thing that they do. And the boss also will interact with the bindle tokens. Each scenario has, or there's a big scenario book and each scenario has a list of all the different things that the boss does when they pull them out. In fact, it actually is two lists because all the bosses have two forms. They have a, I'll just say it, a happy form and a sad form, even though they're not always that way. Um, but the faces used to represent the two forms are happy and a sad side. So there's a happy and a sad form. So for each of the five different bindle tokens, there's a different action that the guys will take. And these actions are all very thematic for what it is that this guy's doing. And they're all 
different. They all do all sorts of different things, all different to the different scenarios. So it's definitely to your advantage to know what it is that they do. But on the other hand, there's a lot of things that these guys do because there's like <laughs> 30 scenarios. So they all they all do all sorts of different things, but they interact with the bindles as well. Um, the track, the cycle track, when a bindle is pulled out and used, either by you or by the haint, you put it on the cycle track. And then when there's a number of tokens equal to what's listed on the cycle tracks, like if there's five iron nails, you put back in the bag all the tokens in the cycle track, and that shows a cycle. Um, sometimes cycles can do things with the haints. Sometimes cycles have no effects at all. Sometimes cycles have a little effect. Sometimes cycles have a big effect. Um, sometimes cycles flip them over. Like there's a whole bunch of different things that cycles can do. And it's another trigger that you have to be on the lookout for. And they do a thing. <laughs> um, okay. But there's a spot to store it all. And so those are those tokens. Um, I will say that this is, it's essentially like a chaos bag type thing from the Arkham Horror. So I have gone and put my rummage tokens into coin, uh, uh, plastic coin cases to protect yep. them a little bit while they're in there. Um, but even without that, there is the bindle bag that comes with it. The bindle bag is, it's like glasses case sized. It's really inappropriate for my oh, size hand. And I think it's tiny. Yeah, it's really small for anyone and definitely too small if you have yours in coin cases. So you really need to put them in coin cases. Okay. Um, so the best thing to do really is is get a, an old bandana or fabric that's checkered and, and make your own bindle bag. Yeah, if you can do that. I just used a chaos bag. <laughs> okay. <laughs> more. So... <laughs> That is what's been to print on that. And there are a bunch of other miscellaneous tokens. There's miscellaneous terrain tokens, miscellaneous cursey type tokens, malady tokens, uh, scenario cards that you do in between different scenarios. So there's various other miscellaneous things that just do stuff based upon what the scenario is. There's a bunch of stuff just that does things. No general rule for those. Okay. And that's all the components. Shoo that it <laughs> yeah that's it that's yeah there, there's a lot of stuff in this game that and it, it and it all looks nice that's the thing you it said the really hearts does. aren't good but everything everything looks pretty yeah with the exception of the hearts the the components are are top-notch very nice mm -hmm. so let's talk about the rules now that i said something nice let's say something a little bit less nice <laughs> okay oh. well first of all they're 31 pages so there's something not so nice I mean, yeah, but 31 pages for a for a co-op for a deep co-op game, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the problem is is how easy is it to explain? Yeah. Now, I don't remember, did you say it was co-op already or not? It is co-op. Yes. I do I believe I did game. say that. Yes. Fully co-op can so be So if you're played, playing can if you're be playing played solo, you're playing multiple characters? It I I believe you are playing multiple characters, but you can play solo if you want. You can play just one-handed okay. if you want. Um, I did multi-handed. Okay. Um, so yeah, the, I don't understand the logic of how they divide things up. Like the stuff is all over the place. Some of it, let's, let's go like this setup to begin with is not very clear on how you set up the game because there's, 
some stuff in all the the setups, it's not ordered. And then there's different setups that you have based on different scenarios. So you have to know Mm -hmm. when to do some things and how to install and set things up. And it's definitely sort of thing that like you figure it out, but like, it's not, it's not fully clear. So it's more like, Hey, just make sure you look at everything on the page to understand all the setup. But I mean, the time for the time for setting up the scenario is not the time to tell me about how the scenario looks like. It's just, it's not the right time. I need, I needed to have a complete set of setup directions to set everything up. Here's, here's one Mm. that should be immediate to you. Nowhere in the rules does it say to put all of the bindle tokens in the bindle bag. Oh, (laughs) it doesn't say it anywhere. It should be obvious. (laughs) Yeah. You should figure that out, but it doesn't say that anywhere. So like, it's just, it's not a clear way of setting up the, the turns for the game, but the setting up the game in terms of all the things you can do. I didn't understand. There's, there's not a flow for how you explain it. Many games have a flow there. Here's how, here's the turn order. Here's the round order. Here's the things you do on your turn. Here's the list of each of your actions. Here's what each of your actions can do, right? That's how you normally mm-hmm. explain things. It's just not, it's, it's, it's not. <laughs> it doesn't have that sense of flow to it. Stuff feels a little bit all over. So for example, it says, hey, a vagrant's turn. You can choose to do actions. So here's the actions and here's coins. And now I'm going to explain to you Actions, I'll explain a couple of the actions. I'm going to explain a couple of skills. I'm going to target range, but it, it's not until we get later after I've told you about like range and humanity and stuff like that, that you, you, that I start to tell you, you know, what your actions are and what things you can do. And then I have to modify it by a little for the other one. And like, <sighs> makes sounds it sounds frustrating. Here's, so the table of contents make it look like it's all very organized, right? There's a there's a, a, a vagrant's turn section, like you said, but it's not all in there, right? So you're right. jumping back and forth to other areas. Huh. And and it meant, I see there's two set of phases, right? There's the setting up the game and the setting up the scenarios. Yeah. So, so there's jumping back and forth, which, you know, I guess I don't like I mean, it. Sometimes you have to, but rules. it's just better to put it all in place. But like, it's, it's just not intuitive. Here's another thing that's an issue. I mean, I could just start listing issues. Here's another thing that I found to be an issue. So if you look at the vagrant cards, so it lists different things. So for example, it's got a move with a three value, which means that you can move three spaces, right? Mm-hmm. And it's got a punch with a four plus. So four plus, I've got a bunch of dice. Oh, I didn't mention that in things. There are dice. They call them bones. Oh. So you roll them bones. Mm-hmm. I didn't mention that. So it's just a regular six-sided dice. So a punch, four plus. Oh, okay, fine. I kind of get that. That means if you punch, you get a four plus. Then there's an action, bindle bag two. Most people would probably intuit, especially with everything else, that I get to bindle two tokens, right? Right. No. What the bindle bag two means is that actually that's the limit for how many bindle tokens you can hold at once. Mm-hmm. 
it has nothing to do with the action. It has to do with your oh. general character ability. You may hold two bindle tokens. Don't put that with your actions, designers. If it's something that is a stat for your character, don't put it with your actions. That is a stat, not an action. <laughs> don't put it with your actions. Certainly, if you're going to do it, emphasize that it means something different. Don't just simply say, hey, you can go here to draw one rummage token. By the way, don't get confused about anything about the fact that there's a two written there. Mm -hmm. Because as I'm explaining it, I never tell you what that two is for. I tell you that when I'm explaining stats. When I'm explaining the rules of the card. When I'm explaining what the oh. card is. And I don't tell you about the rummage action and mention ignore that two. I don't tell you that when I'm explaining the action. If I have to tell you ignore part of the thing when you're resolving the action... You've probably messed up. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds. It sounds like you're frustrated. I can imagine you spent hours trying to figure out this game. <laughs> I spent longer than I wanted to figuring out the game. It yeah. reminds me of when I was first learning Mage Knight, and to learn Mage Knight, you both had to read the rules and watch someone else's playthrough. Mm -hmm. I don't usually have to watch someone else's playthrough. I usually enjoy reading rules and learning games from rules. I felt at a disadvantage with this rule book, having to learn it from the rules. Okay. <sighs> well, so, so the rule books are not a hit. It, it does have, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it sounds like it's not a good book. It does have a table of contents, at least. It does have examples of play and whatnot. It does have lots of pictures and yeah. shows you all the tokens and all that reference stuff. So it's just it's just going to be hard to figure out the play from it. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. And besides that, there's other books, I guess, because there's a scenario. Book there's there's a rule book and there's a scenario book and the rule and the well, you know what? Let me talk about the scenario book. <laughs> this may get into gameplay, but let me talk about the scenario book. Here we go. So with the scenario book, um, you typically have about four pages that are dedicated to a certain dude, right? There mm -hmm. are, there's one page for his setup and listing all his effects and things. So what happens when he breaks what his little cursey type things do, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, then there's another page that lists what all of his bindle tokens do. Then there's another page that lists events. So there's event tokens that get shuffled in. They do all sorts of different things all over the place. So there's events. And when it pulls out, you go and consult the book about what the event is and you resolve whatever it is. And then there's the, the camp page, which after you beat the scenario, you run through everything on that camp page. Right. Okay. So, um, let's see here. You are constantly having to flip back and forth on these pages. It sounds like it. Yeah. Because first of all, here's one thing that's really tough. Those little haint effects, for example, black for the first scenario, it's enveloped at the beginning of your turn. If, you you have to start, you're removed from the board when you get it, you lose to humanity. Um, and then while it's there, you only perform, you, you can only do rummages or iron nails. And then someone has to come rescue you by, by essentially popping the guy who's holding you. 
and then white is bleeding. And then every turn, if you move, you lose a humanity. And if you patch up, you remove bleeding. It's whole paragraphs. They're nothing but little, little white token. And you have to remember those whole paragraphs. There's only one copy of those things. um, And Mm -hmm. it's in the book. So you have to remember that every time it says, hey, you now get the black one. Well, you go look up what the black one does. It's enveloped. Well, who is it? Well, make sure you keep reminding that person who has it what it is that it does. And then flip back. So someone pulls an event. Turn the page over. Look at the events. All right. Well, it's end of turn. Turn back to the the scenario thing about what all the bindles do and do that. And look here and look there and go here and go there. Ugh. Wow, it sounds like you need a DM for this game. Yeah, somebody whose job is just to you get to need the rules. someone. You need so, the, whoever is you need someone to be running the game that is good at understanding how to do stuff and make sure everyone else stays on point with the rules. Mm-hmm. It it takes that. It's similar. Like I felt that way with Gloomhaven too. I felt like with Gloomhaven, you need someone who can run the table. You need that for this game. You need someone who's going to run the table and understand everything, keep everyone on point with the rules. But like certain things would have been super handy to have references for, like haint effects. Since that goes on everyone, having four cards for every scenario for the haint effects to pass them out would have been grand. When there's no real clear showing for why black is this and white is this. It needed to have mm-hmm. reference cards for that. It needed to... I wish it would have been able to get everything I need on maybe two pages so I can just have it be open. A two-page spread, yeah. A two-page spread. Yeah, it seems like that would make a huge difference. Just having That, that flipping can be frustrating. I uh-huh. know that. I can think of other games like that where I've played where, where you got to keep flipping and, and checking things. And when it's and when it's laid out where you're like... I've had other games I could think of where, where I'm flipping back 20 pages and then flipping forward 10 and then flipping back to the first and then back 20 again. And that is so frustrating when you're constantly jumping back and forth and checking things out. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Okay. So we have kind of bled into the gameplay then. Well, I'm it's sort of a little. Let me let me go back and <laughs> you let, want to keep going. Let me keep going on some gameplay gameplay notes. So one thing I just want to mention, each different scenario is is really quite unique. Um, each of them mm-hmm. has a different sort of thing. So the idea of what you're doing here is you're trying to cure, save the ghosts. Um, with haints, you're not actually making them lose. You're not actually killing them. You're actually saving them. They've lost all their humanity. So they're the, these cursed ghosts. And you're trying to remind them of their humanity. You're trying to restore their humanity. Um, and as the rules explained, uh, getting punched in the nose is a very good way to remember you're alive. <laughs> so you could punch them in the nose to help them remember they're alive. Or there's all sorts of different effects and things in a different scenario to help remind them that they're alive. So really, you're oh. not depleting their health. You're actually restoring their health. Which, so wait, so haints aren't ghosts? Haints, they alive? are ghosts, but you're trying to restore their humanity. Uh, okay, you're trying to remind them that they're, they were people once. They're not yeah. terrible spirits. They're... And in fact, okay. that ties into the players as well. Because if a player loses all of their lives, and similar to haints, you have your life, 
you have your health, your humanity. And then if you lose all your humanity, you flip over one of your items and it's now broken and your mana is restored. So really uh-huh. you have lives as well. Very similar. If you lose all your lives and then you lose all your humanity, you actually turn into an, a ghost. Oh, okay. Um, and you flip over, you're now westbound. You're now a ghost. You have a, a, a ghosty version of all the same powers that you had. And you do all of that stuff at this point in time really cool when it happens it happened like once it's really cool when it happens because it very much restores a a unique aspect of the whole thing and ties it all together of what it is that you're doing at that point in time you can heal your fellow player just like you heal the fellow ghosts um to bring them back to life (laughs) um Oh, that's cool. Yeah, okay. it, that was a really neat thing about how you tie all that together, and just the the brazenness of getting punched in the nose is a really good way to remember you're alive. It's funny, <laughs> and I enjoy yeah. explaining that part, that rule of the game. Everything, all the actions you take over the course of the game are very well. Once you figure it all out, it it all flows really well together. The actions are intuitive putting coins to do a thing you program them when you at the beginning. So like you may decide, Hey, I failed. I really wish I could try again, but look, I didn't program it. Or you over push for something. You're like, I I'm rolling three dice to investigate. I really want to succeed. And then you blow away the roll. Like, well, I didn't need to do all that. Or it doesn't even need a test for it. And you program for it anyway. And you know, oh, well, so there's a lot of that. That is really fun. The fact that it ties together the programming and the action selection and the different actions getting expanded. And the fact that all of your skills keep changing over the course of things, you find good stuff that you like and you learn how to use it well, but then something else kind of tempts you to do something else with it. And you find a different build that you like. And between scenarios, any unlocked skills that you have are, are continue to build up. And every scenario is is unique because there's all sorts of different things that each of the scenarios do about, hey, he may run away this time, or he may want to put out a bunch of terrain, or he may want to, um, or he may want to, or, or like you may want to not fight him. If you fight him, you start losing, or if you succeed on the, on the, the, rituals like you actually lose by doing those things it's like there's a lot of different things that they do with them all and so the flow and the mechanics of the gameplay are really nice they're really fun and playing through the first thing as i was sitting down playing through the first game when i got it it felt really good to get it let me temper my enthusiasm Mm -hmm. a little the game has like 30 scenarios it is a campaign-based game. You are meant to play through the whole thing in order, all of those 30 scenarios, theoretically with the same group. But okay. it definitely starts to show its wear after like 10. <laughs> oh, Because hmm. I, I tell you, hey, it's all different. Well, frankly, a ritual, if you succeed, heals their humanity that's usually how it just works is you just keep healing their humanity do whatever the mini task is heal their humanity avoid whatever their bad thing is and keep using your skills rinse repeat so like i I need to go punch him again i need to go investigate hey there's a thing let's go investigate it does what it does great i investigated roll the dice 
Okay, good. I roll the dice. Gotcha. I yeah. succeed. Over, I and over. Do over and over and over again. And so, yeah. and the board is the same every time too. So it's not like you're getting changes in the tactical layout so much. There are. There's a little bit, but it's always going to be the same squares. But there's sometimes there's mm-hmm. terrain that goes out to like block off certain amounts or holes or things like that. But yeah, it's not mm-hmm. as changeable as like a Gloomhaven, for example. I mean, to tell you the truth, like even Gloomhaven, if it weren't for the fact that you get a whole new character and it feels really different, you get a whole new character, but like the same character, even to a different scenario, it feels like the same type of thing. Get in, punch the guys, get out or, or run or whatever it is like within one character in Gloomhaven, it starts to feel samey. And that's the same thing here, but mm-hmm. there's no switch to a new character. All the characters feel very similar for that. Go in, punch the haint survive and they're all okay they all feel once you're 10 scenarios in they all feel the same okay which meant i didn't finish the campaign right yeah well that that was sort of my issue with uh, jaws of the lion it was it was fun but after a while i was like you know i think i think i've had enough of this yeah and i'm done with it even even though that does have some variability i mean it has some variability but it wasn't enough to hold me through the whole thing. The first couple was really good, but having to keep going through the whole thing, I think that if the game were designed as individual scenarios, you open it up and you play a scenario and you win or you lose, I think it would have been a lot stronger than if it's a campaign where you feel like, ah, I got to keep going. I've got to do the whole thing. At least (laughs) fall forward. At least to help fall forward. So you're not having to do that. That's funny because you're saying I would keep playing it if each of the scenarios was just standalone, but because it because it's a campaign, I don't want to keep playing it. It's not about so that I don't just... want to keep playing it. I don't want to play it again because I got to get the whole... Everyone has to be willing to continue it now because I oh. played with a group, and if anyone is like, I don't really know, like, it's a lot harder to pull everyone together. If it were just me, yeah. you pull it for once out, off, or you play it with a different set of people. Like, hey, you have new people that you can play this scenario with. Like, there's a new group. There's different people coming over. You pull it out and play it as a once-off. The different people make it different. But you have to play with the same people over and over and over so again. So can you just throw out the, the campaigniness and say, hey, we're playing scenario 17. Hey, next week we'll play scenario 3. Who wants to join us? Only if you want to lose Would the it aspect work? of... It wouldn't because there's different skills that come out over the course of different scenarios. There's uh, a whole okay. deck of skills. And so the There's only way to get lock. access to those skills is to go up there. You could just theoretically give yourself a random purchase of some, but then you're having to like house you're you're having to house rule a lot more on different skills and different junk. Yeah, to, or you, you have know, to read through the whole book to figure out which skills got unlocked at this point. Yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So it does. It sounds like it's a. It sounds like it's a great game until you start actually playing it and learning to play it. A great game with cracks. <laughs> with cracks, okay. And you didn't keep it too long, which is a shame. So so it sounds like you're not necessarily going to recommend this game. I can't. Hmm. Okay. I would love but to. That's a shame. I think there are definitely some people that I would recommend it for. It is a game that is worth experiencing. It is a, it is a very well-designed game that needed a little more editing. There's there's some cracks in there that I think could have been fixed, 
could have been smoothed over, a better rule book, turning it into not a campaign. Those two things would have significantly improved my rating, probably for sure. It would have made it into a recommended for me. It, it would have made it probably on the same level as the loop because the gameplay itself flows really well and smoothly. But I can't pull it out with another set of people. There's three people that I was playing with. If I want to pull it with someone else, I've got a house rule for what is that I'm doing, or they step into someone else's character, or I just simply play the next scenario without telling them that it's part of a whole campaign. Like, hey, here's a ghost. It's doing a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And largely, okay. I'm not sure that the story makes any difference because it seems to be suggesting that there's an overarching, but I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that was my biggest thought was uh, oh my gosh no you'll never know how it ends the story <laughs> i didn't really understand what it was doing to begin with what's because you only got to chapter 10 yeah but there's nothing there's nothing going on but big reveals each, at 11 each ghost is just <laughs> a ghost like there's nothing that connects them one to the other interesting okay yeah so you, i i love the theme though the the you know the the hobo lifestyle, it's its a bit romanticized and whatnot. So the idea of playing hobos on the train just sounds really exciting and really fun. Uh-huh. And and it's it sounds like it'd be really cool. Um, so, it's, so it's a shame that it doesn't uh, pan out quite so much. Yeah. The um, I had never heard the word haint before and I had to look it up. I had no idea what that was. And <laughs> apparently it's a, according to whatever I found, it says it's an African-American um variant of the word haunt right like a ghost oh. and in hobos it also meant like spirits voodoo spirits that took over people or chase them until they they fell over exhausted huh okay fell over dead and exhausted yeah so so that's what that's where that word comes from which i thought was weird so it's it's keeping all the theme and all the lore from the hobo lifestyle at least to some point i guess and that, that's kind of neat but again if it doesn't work i mean such a shame Yep. The the other thing about the game is it's I don't know if you mentioned it's published by Word Miniatures, which I thought, oh, that's kind of weird. There's no miniatures in this game, but the publisher's a miniatures publisher, it says. And I looked them up, and they're known for making Malifaux, which is a miniatures war game. Um, I've heard of before. I know nothing about it. Uh, and so I find it more surprising that the scenarios kind of don't work and everything you said because... Because the fact that it's always kind of a static layout, and you said, yes, you put terrain on the board or whatnot, you, you, you kind of, when you play miniatures games, you know, you have different setups every time, and the board is... Yeah, there's all sorts of different terrain across the table, yeah. Right, and and, and totally different. And here, it's such a limited scenario. I'm surprised, I'm surprised they went I mean, that route. There's I think a limited amount that you can do. And again, I don't think it's an issue. I don't, I don't think it's an issue until, like, it's just too much. Like how many times do you play a co-op in a row before it just you want to put it on the shelf for a little bit? But the fact mm-hmm. that it's like thirty games of it before you put it on the shelf, it's just too much. Mm-hmm. I could always come back to it later. The uh, one good thing about it is it's not too expensive. It's only you could get it for fifty dollars. The retail price is eighty, but it's available for fifty. Like on Amazon has it for fifty two ninety nine. Hmm. So not too bad. And you can find it at some online retailers for around fifty, give or take. I bought it straight so, from yeah, them and got some bonus stuff, but I don't remember how much I bought it for. Okay. Was it a Kickstarter or no? No. Okay. There's also a plush 
Did you get the plush? No, I did not get the plush. <laughs> it's a little plush figure that brings more, uh, I think it was junk cards. Yeah, junk cards or something like that. So, some cute little demon or something. <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. So, that is Vagrant Song. And I'm afraid that the train is pulling out of the station on this one. Oh, well, I'm jumping off then. <laughs> Good luck. There are no doors. Uh <laughs> All right, everyone. See you next time. Good night, all. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.